What makes for a great director or a skilled writer? How do good actors do what they do? Does great art always follow the rules? Welcome to Press Play and Surrender. I'm your host, Owen McQuinn, and I'm an Irish filmmaker and actor. This is my chance to speak to artists of all kinds, as well as industry players, from up-and-comers to established talent. It's a space for in-depth conversation, where personal insights and unexpected tangents are very much encouraged. You're listening to Press Play and Surrender. My guest today is Dean Kavanagh. Dean is a filmmaker from Wicklow. His critically acclaimed debut feature, Hole in the Head, has been shown at film festivals around the world. And it truly is a mind-bending experience. I really recommend it. I was delighted to get to talk to Dean today. Uh, He's just a really interesting guy and has a lot to say about his process. So this is my conversation with Dean Kavanagh. All right, Dean, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Uh, it's great to see you. Um, we've actually known each other for a few years, haven't we? We've both been working or we have both been working at the same cinema for quite a few years in different departments. Um, but you would always be kind of floating around and kind of like benevolent presence within the mayhem of oh, yeah, box absolutely. office. Uh, you always seem like an interesting guy, but we don't know each other that well. But I got yeah, to see your film in the Galway Film Fla last summer, and that was my first time kind of Good seeing one. your work. Um, I, al- I always yeah. had a sense of the kind of work that you did. Like, I knew that you were into the experimental type of filmmaking. But yeah, I mean, the experience of watching your feature film, uh, The Home in the Head, at Galway, was really incredible. Like... It was so unique and strange and challenging, you know. Um, But before we talk about the film, can you tell me a little bit about your background, where you grew up? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, Well, um, I grew up in Wicklow on the east coast of the tiny island. Um, I grew up in Kilcool and then moved to Greystones. Greystones is where the Father Ted cinema is. So I guess, I mean, I kind of got interested in cinema at a very, very early age. Um, I remember thinking, you know, when you're a child looking at films and you realize that that's what you want to do, you kind of don't know how a film is made. You don't really understand how the image is created, but you just see the actor and the actor's face. So I guess I thought, okay, well, I'll be an actor uh, because they are the filmmaker, I suppose. That's That's all I could see. So, um, yeah, they come up with, yeah, what so to I was say. interested in, exactly. Yeah. They're the only thing you see that that's, that's as far as it goes. Um, I had no idea that there were writers, that there were like people that set the lights. There was like a person in charge of how the light fell on the actor. Um, I didn't even think of writing at all. It was just, just the actor was the main thing. Um, I guess I would have been around seven or something. And I actually, I had like a terrible stammer, like a terrible stutter when I was nervous um, which was quite, in some cases, you know, debilitating. And uh, rather than uh, send me to a speech therapist, my mother was like, well, you like actors, so we'll send you to a speech and, uh, and drama class. So I was like, all right. So um, every Saturday I would go to this speech and drama class um, in this school. 
And uh, I think I lasted three classes before they threw me out. And I think, yeah, there's a long, long story short, I guess after three classes, you have to do a monologue. And based on that monologue, you can progress to the next level. Like it's really impossible to fail the monologue because it's very basic beginner's level. Um, and they want to keep their money coming in. So they want more kids in the program. But yeah, so I showed up for my monologue in like an oversized suit with a cigar and I did the Bill Clinton impeachment speech. I think I was like seven or eight or something. And it kind of freaked them out. And yeah. like, I don't know why I did that. I didn't understand what I was doing. That would have been um, the big story when we were that age, right? <laughs> I think it must have been just in on the papers in the news or in a film I was watching or something like that. Yeah. But so they said, all right, like they let me finish. And they were like, okay, well, we didn't like that at all. Um, but if you come back the following week, you can do another one and then we'll we'll assess you. So then to so the door, right? The door has like a glass window in it. And I remember the next week I came back and they saw me through the window. I was wearing the same suit and I had this cigar. I was like, hey, big shit eating grin on my face. And they were like, gone, you're out, you're you're gone. So then um my I didn't tell my mother. So she would just keep dropping me there every Saturday. I'd wait till she'll go till she'd leave. And then I would just go to the library. And then I would just write in the library. And mm. I got, I realized then at that point, like we were saying about, oh, it's the writer that puts the words in the actor's mouth. It's the writer that tells the camera person where to put the camera. So I guess they're in charge, I suppose. So I started writing and then submitting the short stories to competitions and I had some success. Like I, well, I got to go to London, I got to go to Tokyo. And then while I was doing all of that, I was also making little films, like since I was 10. The problem was films are shit and the writing was somewhat okay for my age. And it was very frustrating to not be able to combine them both to write for the film. Mm. I don't know. Cause I know you're developing a short film now. So are you, are you writing this and directing this or how is that working? Yeah. I mean, my plan would be to direct as well. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, short story writing and screenwriting are very different beasts i suppose yeah. but i was going to ask you i mean how early did the filmmaking take hold did you kind of commandeer the family pi 8 video camera or what way did it work yeah it, it was it was like that so i thought okay i'll write scripts then i'll learn how to write a script and then the problem is like i was asking that was because if you're your own producer before you even put a letter on the paper it's like can't afford to do that can't afford to do that can't get access to that can't do that it's the most restrictive way of writing mm. so remember by the end of it i had this sheet of paper with four sentences on it i was like oh well i can do all of this so that's my script and then i kind of thought well i don't really need a script then do i if i just got four lines on the page so then it was like developing a way of making films that just without the script in like an improvised way so that was where that kind of started. And then a little, a little bit later, it was the idea of like feasibility. Like, okay, I can't realistically, when I'm 16, 17, shoot a gunfight, but maybe the film can be like the gunfight, maybe through the, the blocking, through the editing, through the sound, that the grammar of cinema can provide that level of action. So rather mm. than having a gun battle, you could have you know, like a couple argue over dinner and then you just cut it like a gunfight. And then within that, I suppose, you're kind of looking in the history of cinema for films that are closer to the kind of thing that you want to do. 
and then you kind of go off the beaten track a little bit and then you find the literature that surrounds those films and then you find the music that surrounds all of it and then before you know it you have this little ecology mm. and i suppose um in that way it's like if you ever get the financing to shoot something michael bay style like a gunfight most likely you're not going to do it the way that anyone else is going to do it because and it's not being different for the sake of being different either it's more like you just don't see any other viable way of doing it that interests you because you've developed this other way of looking at cinema so that was i guess that's how i define my understanding of the word experimental for me yeah so i guess that's kind of how i i came to that was yeah very limited means but then realizing that it's limited and, and what you can do with those limitations i suppose i mean yeah that answers your question right mad no, tangent like sorry. absolutely does and like i welcome tangents of all kinds so that's good um oh good good yeah but um uh, did you you did you kind of involve family members or friends in your filmmaking or did you hire actors as a teenager or it's just all family and friends yeah it was just and that was one of the reasons it was like you've got a bunch of 15 year olds in a field with some gas powered pellet guns you know trying to shoot an action movie and just like <laughs> why would a bunch of 15 year olds be in in the situation yeah you know so right yeah so it so that the you using friends and family began to uh, affect the kind of stories I wanted to tell. I wanted to do something that where you'd see a 15 year old in a film that it was believable that they were who they were. And so the stories yeah. became more focused. Yeah. In that way. But yeah, like, um, I think anyone who was anyone was that, that I knew ended up in the films. Um, and I even put ads in the paper to, to find actors and stuff like that, but I never got, you know, any <laughs> like, who wants to work with this young whippersnapper? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you want us to do what? Yeah. Yeah. But like, I would notice that going to, I don't know if you remember the Fresh Film Festival, the uh, yeah. Youth Film Festival, and like everyone, not everyone, but a good few entries would be like people trying to make epic war films, but they're all like child yeah, soldiers yeah. in like the yeah, woods. Yeah. It's brilliant, it's like, great. but it's so not believable. But that's okay, you know. You can suspend your disbelief. Um, it's there's always one kid though that would be like realizing that okay, they're child soldiers, so maybe like they're child soldiers or something like yeah. this. Like the smart kid. Um, I wasn't that smart kid, so <laughs> I just didn't do the the battle scenes. Um, but yeah, I submitted to Fresh, and um, there was a film festival in Wicklow called the Wicked Wicklow Film Festival. Um, and there was other Wicklow film festivals when I was younger in my early teens. What we would do though is, so it's not so alien to what the festival structure is now, but they used to have themes. Remember when a festival would end, they would announce what the theme would be for the following year. Okay. And then you could almost develop your short based around the theme. Mm -hmm. So we would literally make shorts for the festival because we wanted to be, to share it with people. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of, it's a, it's a different thing now, I suppose. It's not so much, the thematic aspect isn't revealed uh, before this stuff is chosen, I suppose. No. And how was that? As, so you got stuff screened as a teenager. How did that feel to see your vision on the screen with an audience? Is that an important part of the process quite, for you? Yeah. Yeah. Seeing it in the cinema was, was really special or in a cinema like environment, like town hall or something. Yeah, that was really great. 
um but you just see the flaws i would just look at the other films and so what we used to do as well which is so counterintuitive i would lie about my age and i would submit the film we'd make to the higher age category so even if we got selected for me that would be the prize that we that they thought we were older and more sophisticated so we'd never win anything but okay. if i was just saying to the guys like you know look if we get selected that's the prize because we fool them you know it's, it's the <laughs> yeah. best accolade rather than you know second prize in the 14 to 15 age category or something but right. um we did get one runner-up though um mm. in a category that we weren't in the age group for and it turned out to be the graduate showcase for the college I ended up going to so then when I went to that college, I remember just saying, do you remember me? I was in the same program that your grad thing. And yeah, that was kind of bleak, though, that you begin <laughs> at the end. Yeah. Now, that was quite funny. Which college did you go to? I went to Dublin Institute of Technology, formerly known as DRT. Now it's Technical University Dublin. Mm -hmm. um, it was it was really, really interesting. I really enjoyed my time there and some really great lecturers and it was, it was it was interesting it was cool yeah and um so with this i mean then between college and now i guess how did it evolve like how did your filmmaking continue develop when i was in college it was you had access to equipment and mm -hmm. if you the best friend you'd have in there would be the person in charge of the equipment store and the person in charge of the edit suite. And then after college, I specialized in cinematography and I went, it was recession though. So I didn't, you don't, yeah. you know, with the industry hierarchy, even if it wasn't a recession, you ain't going to be touching a camera for a couple of years anyway, but it was especially tough. But I used that time to, to work in a lot of different um, film production facilities and learn as much as possible and my filmmaking really began to develop in terms of how the story interacts with the form of the film um and that's something that it took quite a while to for it to naturally develop so the kind of films i make i suppose are if i submit them to an ex when i submitted them back then to an experimental film festival they would say we really like it but it's a little bit too narrative for us. And then I would submit it to a standard commercial film festival, narrative based, and they would go, yeah, it's interesting, but you know, we don't do experimental films, sorry. So that was the period of time where I decided not to submit to any film festivals. I did that for like a very long time, many years. And I was just making films. Uh, I don't know why, just I kept making films because I was interested in I was sharing them in a different way. It wasn't the whole festival hierarchy or the trajectory idea where, you know, you have your short and then you make another one and then that's your calling card and then that gets you your first feature or whatever. I always found that kind of redundant because I'd already made so many that yeah. I, I thought they were, you know, in their own right, the short form is, is really, really interesting. Um, so I guess during that period of time, I was really concentrating on developing into a feature, develop how to, to, to work in a, in a longer form. So that's pretty much what I did post-college. That's got to have been so frustrating though, kind of falling between a rock and a hard place 
in terms of not being experimental enough or being too experimental. But um, going back a bit, I kind of want to know what were your influences uh, like or what kind of experimental filmmakers would you have been drawn to, say, in your late teens, early 20s, when you're really discovering cinema? Um, I would say um, it would have been filmmakers like Stan Brackage and Paul Sharitz and um, Maya Darren and... I mean, I suppose the kind of films I was watching, though, weren't really what you would call classical experimental canon kind of films. They'd be more like films by Nicholas Ray, films by Pier Paolo Pasolini, by, you know, Fassbender, by, you know. So it was much more from this traditional storytelling in an art house model. That was pretty much the kind of stuff I was consuming right. intensely. Um but experimental film in a traditional sense probably didn't happen um, till I'd say a little bit after that, where I guess I found sites on the internet where I could acquire, you know, access to this stuff where before right. there was just laser video shop where you mm. could get, you know, all of Kishlowski's films, you know, rent out the Decalogue for the weekend or something. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it was a direct influence from experimental cinema, traditional experimental cinema really at all. It's more so that I, whatever way I think about story, it somehow gets disrupted and and uh, kind of discombobulated. And that's the process that is the experiment, I suppose. Yeah. And what I've done since college is just trying to understand how to focus that, how to you know, control that process rather than it just being me being weird. You know, it's, it's turning well, into it's a very deliberate. Method. What I can tell from your, I mean, your whole aesthetic and the way Holden the Head was constructed with the different formats and medium. And even the fact that the character himself was a projectionist and is making a film within a film, like it's all very deliberate. It doesn't seem random or, you know, mm. experimental mm. in a kind of messy way it's it's yeah. very precise so i guess i don't know can you talk a little bit about for people who aren't aware what home the head is about or what you think people might want to know going in to watch it yeah so hole in the head is um an experimental narrative film by that i mean it is a film that uh, unveils its story through a tapestry of like retrograde uh, moving image technologies so it uses 16 millimeter high eight tape vhs super eight and uh quarter inch magnetic audio tape and the story itself is a pitch dark comedy uh drama i suppose it's about a character who who uh is a projectionist and amateur filmmaker and uh, is incapable of verbal communication and this all stems back to his childhood where his parents disappeared mysteriously when he was seven years of age and he has no memory of of anything until he was seven or eight years of age. And so he decides to move back into the family home and to hire actors, local actors, to play his mother and his father and to create or reimagine home movies in order to solve the mystery of how his parents might have disappeared. And that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, right. Yeah. But it also involves, yeah, it involves like the whole play on filmmaking and film production and stuff like that. So it's it's supposed to be funny in a very, I thought it very was funny. Yeah. Right. 
there is a part that almost made me laugh out loud where like I can't even remember what he does but the filmmaker just takes it one step too far and they all decide to leave the house very quickly yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it was yeah yeah, yeah it sure. was very funny um yeah so I mean how did this idea come to you that's what I'm curious about actually I mean because I know it was made in lockdown but did you have the idea for many years or months before that or yeah it was um it's going back to the short stories it was actually a short story I wrote a couple of years before that and at that point I was thought I'd start writing again to develop a couple of little ideas that maybe could be useful to adapt in the future and um, that was one of them and um, I think at that time I was sort of reaching the limit of I guess the usefulness in my I guess my enjoyment of the the improvised film process and I thought this was an interesting story to step out of that and also to poke fun of that as well so it kind of became the most um the, the the story i thought would be the most interesting for for me to spend time on i suppose um, cool yeah, we had a lot of time yeah i mean you made it over a good span of time like it like on and off maybe for about over a year was it yeah, it was around two years two and a bit i suppose we had um funding from the arts council so Arts Council were really supportive. We got a film project award for them. And then COVID hit and then all the deadlines just fell out of the window. And we just started to develop the film in clusters. So we would do uh, just try to protect the fact that we didn't have enough money to shoot things twice. That if there was a, uh, there, if there was no real financial contingency in terms of, it wasn't built into the budget we didn't have we didn't know that COVID obviously was going to happen so the contingency we had would have been enough to get a couple of a day here or there but not enough to do a whole production again so yeah we really tried to stagger it in order to protect ourselves from that potential situation but in the end it worked out very very it worked out perfectly fine I think um like we shot for nine ten days in Carlo with pretty much the full crew and actors but the stripped down crew you know like ten nine ten people and then we went on to shoot with with the lead John Curran around Ireland um for another month or two here and there and then it was just b-roll and traveling to Kerry for certain shots, traveling to Cork, traveling to County Down, traveling to Galway, to Connemara, to Wicklow, to Dublin Mountains. So it was just enjoying the fact that not everyone thought, you know, the, we, I mean, when we started this production, we had no idea if cinema would even exist by the time we finished it. Yeah. So there was a kind of liberation. Yeah, like it was very bizarre. Um, but also there's freedom in that. Because, you know, given the fact that I've been working in this kind of DIY way for around like 15 years at that point, the kind of the main industry with big, complex productions, um, you know, they had to slow down to my level in many ways. And like, that wouldn't be something, thinking about solutions the way I'd be thinking about solutions would not be something that they would be so used to because... I would work in the long way around solving a problem because that's the only way you can do things 
uh, cheaply. And then they would have the shortcut because that's the easiest, fastest and most expensive way um, to achieve what they want. Mm -hmm. So it was a level playing field. They all had to work in a much more of an indie way. A different pace, and, um, a different scale. Yeah, for sure. And that, that kind of gave us a confidence as well. A confidence to to forge travel papers so we could go on the motorway to to travel around to to even just to to confidence to approach professional actors and and crew and ask them to do very unconventional things. Yeah, um, your producer yeah, is actually so... your partner as well, isn't she, Anya? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Anya Mahler. Yeah. That's it. How do you find working with your partner as a creative collaborator? Is it easy or do you yeah, have a it's, it's definitely um she's a visual artist and a film archivist and i've collaborated with her on her visual art uh work including a really large scale expanded cinema performance uh, called true holes that we developed uh, a few years ago um and that was such a technical undertaking so I think this film was like kind of nothing compared to undertaking that. Okay. Well, it was the idea of building building a a giant almost lens in the middle of a, a space and creating images live and all the sounds are mic'd and derived from the the work from the machines that you're using and wow. you know. Um so what that was, was the venue was for kind that? of interesting. We did it a few places. Mm -hmm. um, the first was in Film Base in the basement. That worked out quite well. That was an early iteration of that project. That was when I was also working as the sound designer, I suppose, on it as well. And then after that, we collaborated with an amazing uh, composer, sound artist, uh, musician called Ollie Ryan. And Ollie did some work on Hole in the Head also. And Ollie then worked uh, on True Holes when we brought it to um, his studio uh, in Fibsborough. And we had a private show for curators and programmers there. And that was much more advanced. Uh, so okay. that was quite special. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a huge undertaking. And the fact that a feature film yeah. was easier in a way, that says yeah, a lot. Was, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about how did you find your actors for Home the Head? Like, did you have a long search process or did you have people in mind? Um, I think by the time we went through casting, we had, I had one draft <clears throat> written. And each time I would meet an actor, I would just, it's so scary because it's the first time I've, in a very long time, that I've worked with a casting process. So I was extremely nervous sharing this thing that I thought was kind of unfinished. But each time I would talk to someone, I would learn something new about, you know, the character or so the drafts were really evolving throughout the entire casting phase. And uh, I'd seen Lynette Callahan, who's in the film, she's amazing. Um, I saw her in films in like the Galway Film Flat and other film festivals. So when I came across her name, I was like, oh my God, okay, you know, I know her stuff. Yeah. And then James Devereaux, um, I knew James's work uh, for quite a while. Um, and yeah, so when we asked, he actually emailed me to ask me if I would shoot a project for him. And then I was like, actually, yeah, I actually have this script and there's a character in it. Funny enough, call James. Maybe you'd like to, <laughs> to read it. And then that's how that worked out. 
but for the lead john the film was written around john i wanted right. john i wanted to do a big showcase of john's skills and that was how that kind of happened that's really cool yeah. and i mean this isn't your it's not your first feature is it it's your second <laughs> No, it's te- it's my first narrative feature, right. but it's my sixth feature overall. Um, so I've made 76 films. Yeah, it's the sixth yeah. feature, yeah, for sure, of long um, form, yeah. Yeah, you put us all to shame with how prolific you are. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it, it, a whole period of time of just living entirely through cinema was, that's the result of it. Almost amazing. too much to watch. No, but it's great Cheers. like to have that kind of, it's it means that your creativity clearly isn't finite like it's very renewable it's it flows like i really envy that in a way um i'd love to be way more productive but um yeah um i guess i want to finish by asking are you working on anything right now yeah i'm currently uh finished the first draft and another feature that um I've just found a producer for and looking to develop that um, this year, I suppose. So, is it in a similar vein um, to Home the Head or Departure? A little bit similar. Yeah, I think it's like with all my stuff, there's always the, the, the one foot is planted firmly in the previous work and the other leg is outstretched somewhere different. So it's somewhat familiar and then also a little step further. And have you, just a general question, have you watched any interesting movies lately? Is there anything that you've seen that kind of stood out to you? Hmm. Um, I was asked this recently because I just came back from the Berlin Alley, so I didn't oh, yeah. even get to see many films films when I was there. But I saw a really interesting, funny comedy, a Canadian comedy called uh, Blackberry, which was um, a film about the first uh, smartphone. I really enjoyed that. They did some cool stuff on that. The DOP, Jared Rab, I think is his name. They worked on like VHS 94 and some other stuff, but they did some cool circuit bending effects. You know, they were, they're really trying to do stuff in a very tactile way, but the comedy, I really, I really enjoyed it. And I also saw Soda Jerk's new film, Hello Dankness, which I thought was amazing. It was really, really great. Okay. Um, like and a masterclass in how to edit a film. Yeah, that was in Berlin, yeah. Yeah. How was Berlin in general? You were selected as the talent campus uh, participant, right? Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. The talent, um, Berlin Alley talents. Uh, yeah, it was phenomenal. Basically, like 203 of us uh, go over from different countries all over the world, from different uh, expert or just different backgrounds in filmmaking. Um, and we all meet up. And it's just a big... Uh, way of of networking of building connections between different countries potentially even developing projects i guess for me it was especially helpful because it's it's even though it's easy to say you want to think beyond the island here but um that was an eye-opening experience of, of how open people can be about developing a project you know around the world um, using a sound designer or a musician from you know somewhere the four corners of the earth or something it doesn't have to be all you know from from here um and just seeing a lot of their work and it was really interesting like a finger on the on the pulse of of i guess what upcoming talent there is and yeah um yeah it was great it was, it was exhausting but it was I'd amazing. Say, yeah it sounds like a really cool experience 
Mm, I'd recommend yeah. um, people to apply for that mm -hmm. Berlin Alley Talents. Um, check out the website and, and so on. I think I will. Cool. Listen, thanks so much for talking with me today. Really appreciate it. Cool. Really enjoyed that. Um, and can people watch Hole in the Head somewhere now? Is it available publicly yet or in the future, maybe? Not, yeah, not yet, um, but hopefully soon. Yeah, for sure. Um, if they keep an eye on uh, my website or Hole in the Head, the film.com, then they'll, they'll find it. Deadly. All right. Thanks so much, Dean. We'll see you again soon. I hope. Well, thanks so much, Owen. All right. Cheers. Thanks. Cool. So that was my conversation with Dean Kavanagh. I thought it was really interesting. It was great to learn a bit more about him. I think he's going to be one to watch. And thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. This has been Press Play and Surrender. I hope you guys will tune in next week for the next episode. Please consider subscribing wherever you find your podcasts.